Good morning. It's a joy for me to be with you this morning. I count it a privilege to have the opportunity to give a ministry report and also open God's Word with you. So we'll get started with uh, the ministry presentation. I have to find the clicker here. Someone can... I thought it was here. Is it? Is it? It is. <laughs> I'll have to blame it on the jet lag. So, <laughs> life is tough. Uh, I've been richly blessed by the D Men program. I thank uh, you as a church for that. That's a really uh, rich privilege that you have and uh, blessing that you give to us who are studying. It's my seventh module, so I'm here in town for that. And uh, I'm also very grateful for your partnership in the gospel. So, uh, talking about the ministry, I'll first share a little greeting about my family. There's a PowerPoint, if you could put that on, please. Thank you. So this is supposed to work with sound. We'll see uh, how that goes. So, Olivia, Elliot, Sophia, uh, my family greets you from Spain. By way of introduction as well, uh, as you'll remember from when we presented, My family and I served for five years in the Dominican Republic. I had the privilege of leading uh, the revitalization of Seminario Bautista Internacional in the Dominican Republic, or International Baptist Seminary, and God moved us to Spain. We've been there since November 30th of last year, so we're grateful to have the opportunity to serve our Lord in Spain. Spain is a very needy field, um, by crunching the census of, I think it's 20 and 2018, talking also with uh, other missionaries that have been there for a while, we estimated there's about 1.3% of true believers in Spain. So there's a, a great need for the gospel in Spain. We serve in the southeastern portion of Spain in the province of Alicante. And uh, we serve in the city of Petrer. Petrer has the adjoining city of Elda. Together, there's about, uh, the two cities have just under 100,000 inhabitants. We also have people from other towns that come to our church because there's a lack of sound gospel preaching churches in the area. When we went to Spain, uh, as, I, as I've told you when we had presented, but just, as I, I expect there are people that weren't here. Uh, we're serving with co-workers who started a church plant. David Bell is the name of the man who started the church plant 15 years ago in his garage. Ten years ago, uh, they were able to rent a storefront. David works as a uni- university professor in Spain, so he's tent making. He had always been praying for co-workers, but God ha- had not sent him co-workers until now. And so uh, being the only pastor and working a full-time job, uh, he was needing help, so we're grateful to partner up with him in this work. And uh, so that's the building that's a few years later, but uh, the other side of the building there. 
How we share the ministry responsibilities is that David is the main preacher. He leads the main worship services on Sundays. So he teaches three Sundays out of the month. I teach one. I oversee teaching in the church. That's the Bible study on Wednesdays and also the Sunday school ministries. So I teach, um, we flip-flop. I teach three Wednesdays and he teaches one. We also share the other responsibilities, evangelism, discipleship, counseling, administration. We've shared in our prayer letters about uh, several people. Uh, The couple that you see on your right, the rightmost people in the picture, we've named, named them S and L due to European data laws. We've come to understand that we need to restrict a lot what we share. And we've had evangelistic Bible studies with them for several months on and off. They have not repented of their sins, but they still come to church on and off. And then to the left of the picture, um, there's a lady with a veil on. She just basically walked from the street to the church with no, or well, with a little contact with some people that were doing evangelism from another church, and she ended up coming to our church. She's professed Christ. She's from a non-practicing Roman Catholic background, and we're doing uh, we've done baptism studies, other basic discipleship studies with her, and we're looking forward to baptizing her soon, if the Lord wills. And Amy's done Bible studies with another, another lady that's not in this picture, and she's still coming to church. And so it's a really interesting thing. We go to Spain where, you know, we hear this is a very hard field, and it is, uh, most of our church are immigrants because they come from Latin America where there's a bigger gospel footprint. They're more receptive to the gospel there. And uh, Spaniards, on the other hand, are, are very hard against the gospel. But we've had in this year more opportunities, like solid opportunities to share the gospel with people than several prior years put together in our lives. So... You know, for instance, before this year, we just try to go to parks and build relationships with people, and we try to do that still, but God's given us many opportunities, and so those three evangelistic studies, two have phased out. One of them is now a discipleship study, and I was wondering, well, Lord, you know, what's next? Now, this is done. What are we... Uh, I was wondering that, and two months ago or so, a family came to our church, and I thought, well, they must be Christians, and we had them over for lunch last week, and I think the parents are, but the two young men, their, their children, are not. And so we were able to share the gospel with them, and we'll try to start some Bible studies with them so that they may know the Lord. This is a picture of people from church, uh, the guy next to Amy is the brother of, so it's three men, right? There's a couple, and then one of the other guys is the son of the couple, and the guy next to Amy is the brother of the dad. And so the brother of the dad is not a Christian. We're able to share Christ with him and just fellowship with uh, this family and our church. And right now, we're also involved in a couple counseling cases in our church. And so we've 
Uh, we've had plenty of ministry opportunities. We're very grateful to our Lord for that. This is a picture of a retreat that we had September 1st to 3rd. We went out for a hike, and the reason I have this picture there is the guy who's taking the picture is not a believer. He's the neighbor of one of the ladies from church, and he's supposed to have come to church this Sunday, so we'll see if that's happened or not. Uh, my brother-in-law and I had an opportunity to, to witness to him. Beyond our church, I have had one opportunity to, to teach to people from other churches. Interesting thing is that that was in a church half an hour away. That's the church where uh, I got saved 15 years ago, so it was neat to reconnect with them. That was an intensive class on the hermeneutics of biblical stories and also some application of that. And that was a Q&A time after those sessions. Our, our church has a monthly ladies' breakfast, like many churches do, I believe. And also we started a kids' club once a month. Amy teaches that and plays the piano for the church. And we have had the blessing of being able to purchase a church building. The prior place where it was being rented, we're still there actually, because uh, we have to figure out uh, how the renovations of the new place is going to work. So we're grateful to have a place that we own and also uh, a place that's bigger as the, biz- the storefront was becoming small. And so right now, we just had an architect come this week and take measurements, and we're working through budgeting, and so we're going to have to go by stages and do that as God provides. So the retreat uh, was a good time of fellowship. We had one baptism. We have baptisms planned for a little later, but due to uh, a lady who has severe issues with her ankle and has a hard time walking, Uh, We chose to use the pool instead of the Mediterranean Sea, which is the typical venue for baptisms. You can imagine with an an ankle that doesn't really flex, the walk in the sand, walk in the water. So we had one baptism there, and we hope to have one or a few more uh, soon, Lord willing. This was a a good Sunday. Uh, It's not the best picture Uh, Olivia is on the right. She's seven years old. Elliot's five. Sophia will be three soon. And uh, I don't know if you see it, but Olivia's holding a lizard in her hand. It was a really good Sunday. It's the first time we found a lizard outside church, and they were playing with that for a while. And uh, Olivia just started school at a Catholic school. We don't have evangelical schools evangelical schools in Spain in the area where we live, and uh, Elliot is starting kindergarten. Amy's homeschooling him, and uh, just random pictures, hiking in the mountains nearby. Olivia, when she was doing homeschooling, Sophia geared up for the day, and uh, that's a little bit about our family. Praises and prayer requests. Uh, we praise God for the evangelistic contacts, and we pray that God will save them. Uh, we pray that God will send more people our way so that they may know his name and that God may use us that way. Uh, we praise God for unity in the church, but we pray for ongoing growth, sanctification, and ongoing unity. 
we thank God for a building, and we pray that uh, God would provide for, for all the renovations. Also, we ask God for wisdom in parenting. We continuously need God's grace day in, day out for parenting. We're grateful for health. Uh, Amy's health is stable overall. She did have a relapse a couple months ago, but we were very grateful to our Lord for that. I don't have much time for questions, so what I'll do is that if there are any questions, I'll take two questions, and then I'd be happy to answer, answer any other questions afterwards. Anyone have a question? No questions. All right. Oh, oh yes, in the back. I mean, I think the most difficult part is that we would take our eyes off the Lord and focus on immediate circumstances. I think the, the difficult part resides in the, the heart of, of those who are there. Beyond that, I mean, it is a hard soil. Immigration, uh, significant increases in immigration have made that there's been growth in the churches, but it's not due to uh, Spaniards having a softer heart to the gospel. But a slow, steady pace. We like, we're in a culture of immediate results. The world as a whole, just go and like to swipe a card and, and things are done. But it's a lot of patient labor. And so that would be another answer to that. Anyone else? Yes, sir. As a fellowship, what's one of the greatest ways we can encourage you and your mm. family? Knowing that you pray for us, and I know you do. I was told of a mission spotlight, uh, and the fact that we are aware that there's intentional prayer, people are in tune to God's work, uh, that means a lot to us because God works through prayer. Let us bow before our Lord before I I open God's word with you this morning. Father, we, we come to you needy as we have sung. We need you and we thank you that in need you give all the provision that we need. We thank you that you're a generous and gracious God. I pray, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, work in our hearts this morning to bow our hearts to you to respond in faith to your word. In Christ's name, amen. When we think of our prior experiences in life or we look back in history, we can think of churches that have split, a sad thing, but that have split over gospel truth. Some people in the church started going left And other people said, no way, there's a straight and narrow path, and this is where we're going. And by all means, if we have to split over the sake of the gospel, we we ought to do so. However many times what's happened is not that such an important doctrine has split the church, it's just preferences have risen to the top, conflict has abounded, 
and churches have, have suffered because of that. Did you know that X is the most common reason for which missionaries leave the field? What's X? Conflict amongst missionaries. So you have, okay, let's say we're from the same church, that degree of proximity. Maybe we even went to the same seminary. The doctrine is very similar. Same mission board, yet conflict prevails and havoc and issues are the result. That's an important problem, and I'm grateful that Scripture gives us answers to important problems like these. We have an answer, and the answer to this problem is that we should stand together for the sake of the gospel. We find that answer given to us in Scripture. Stand together for the sake of the gospel. I didn't come here speaking on this topic because I know of routine matters in this church. That's not... That's not what's going on. Uh, I came burdened to speak on this topic because it's been a, a topic that's come over in my missionary career since the Dominican Republic up till today, something that I need to speak to myself over and over again as I keep serving our Lord Jesus Christ. I need to, to meditate on this. If it's the first time you hear this, you need it. If you've heard it 25 times or 100 times, Well, we need to hear it again. Paul wrote to the Philippians to thank them for their generosity towards him, to give them an update of his situation. He wrote to them also because there are some issues doctrinally that were going on. I think that the main reason why Paul wrote to the Philippians is what what undergirds the whole epistle together is the sake of the gospel. Paul wanted to remind the Philippians, of the sake of the gospel. And so Paul tells the Philippians to to think on those matters, and he writes to them with a tone of joy about those matters. We're in Philippians 1.27 to 30 this morning. Philippians 1.27 to 30. But I'll read up to chapter 2, verse 4. All right? So Philippians 1.27 up to 2, verse 4. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy, worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign of them, of their, to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind." Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So what Paul is telling us as we look to 
look at these verses, he's talking to us, you know, looking at the whole portion here, that we have to live worthy lives. He explains that that's by standing together. And the standing together is explained positively by striving and then negatively by not being frightened, okay? So the first point that we seek here is that we need worthy lives, and that's lives lived for the sake of the gospel. We need worthy lives, lives lived for the sake of the gospel. We see that by the imperative in verse 27, let your life, right, or let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And it's interesting how, that, how translations translate things, but we could translate this. There's a word play here using the same, uh, same word that we find in chapter 3, verse 20. It has to do with citizenship. Chapter 3, verse 20 tells us we need to live as citizens of, of heavens. And here it's, we could say live as citizens or behave like citizens. Citizens of what? Of heaven. Contrasted with those who primarily live or only live as citizens of Rome back then. And so Paul is urging us that our life would be oriented by the fact that we're citizens of heaven, that the manner of life would be shaped in such a way by the fact that as Christians we're citizens of heaven. And then he continues on and says that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I hear of you. So Paul here has a close proximity with the Philippians. We see throughout his letter uh, a close relationship. If I'm here, if I'm not there, I, I, I hope that I, I would hear these things of you. So this, this manner of life, this worthiness of life is explained by that you're standing firm in one spirit. So that's, if we ask the, the question, so what do you mean, Paul, by you know, this manner of worthy living? Living worthy of the gospel. Well, Paul explains it to us, right? He's saying that we would stand together. And so, before I get into that uh, further, I want to, to look at the emphasis of the sake of the gospel in the epistle. We're not going to look at all those verses, but Paul says in chapter 1, verse 5, he mentions the gospel. Verse 7, he mentions the gospel. Verse 12, he mentions the gospel. Verse 27, he mentions the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 22. Chapter 4, verse 3. Chapter 4, verse 15. Let's just look at chapter 2, verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. What they're doing here is about the gospel. It's about Christ having died and resurrected. So we do a lot of things in life, but what do we live for? And that's what Paul is getting to. The gospel ought to govern everything in our lives. And I don't know if you're here this morning and maybe you've never heard the gospel this great news that though we're sinners and we've sinned against a holy God, Jesus Christ came on earth to forgive our sins. He died on the cross for your sins, for my sins. He resurrected, conquering death and sin. And he calls on us to believe in this great truth of the gospel, 
you need to believe in the gospel. You need not only to be a citizen of this earth, of a particular country, but a citizen of heaven, and that's by faith in Christ. Life goes on after death, and we end up either with the one who paid for our sins if we trusted in him, or paying for our own sins if we've refused his payment. So I hope that you will trust in Christ if you haven't already. People, again, live for all sorts of things. They'll live for a hobby, other people that govern their, their lives, material possessions, a job. And we do all those things in life, but what governs those things? Paul is calling on us to be governed by the gospel. And really, what determines or, or how we know if we're doing that or not is for the application here in this letter by whether or not we're standing together for the sake of the gospel. All right, So that's the se- second thing we're, we're looking at. Living for the sake of the gospel is standing and striving together. All right? Living for the sake of the gospel is standing and striving together. Verse 27 continues, right, that you're standing firm in one spirit, one mind striving together side by side for the faith of the gospel. And as I, I said when I introduced, the standing together is fleshed out positively by striving and then negatively by not being frightened. And the striving together is a military language we're there, like, fighting, contending together, striving together. We're fighting as if we were one. I mean, that, you see the emphasis, right? One spirit, one mind, side by side. And that makes me think of uh, old mili- military battle scenes where you have, on the one hand, an army that's ready to shoot a barrage of arrows to the other, to the other army on the other side, what do they do? Well, they unite their shields together for more protection. They don't leave holes between the shields. They have this kind of unity in battle, and we're called to have a tight unity in our spiritual battle for the sake of the gospel. Paul reiterates that the gospel is at the heart of the matter at the end of verse 27, right? For the faith of the gospel... The gospel is at the foundation of our faith. It's through the gospel that we are made children of God. And Paul doesn't just explain these things in a vacuum. There are problems in Philippi. People are not getting along. We have the infamous two ladies, right, in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, Havodia and Syntyche. Paul's telling those ladies that they have to just get along. In chapter 2, verse 14, he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Well, he doesn't just say that to say that, right? There's grumbling, there's conflict going on. And what's going on with this? Well, Paul doesn't just tell us, okay, be united together. I like that Paul becomes really practical. He shows us what's going on underneath the, the surface here. Chapter 2, we read verse 22 and verse 21. There's a contrast there, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. 
On the other hand, Timothy has put the gospel first. If we continue reading uh, just after our portion this morning, the portion I, I read when we started, chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, let's just look briefly at verses 3 and 4. So how do we solve this issue of disunity? Well, we put the gospel first, and it happens in the following way. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his interests, but also to the interests of others. So I count others more significant than me. How? Well, instead of putting myself first, I think of them and give them preference. But we're quite self-centered. It doesn't take much for our feathers to be ruffled. Maybe someone said or did something that we didn't like. Okay, maybe they did something wrong, but how do we react? Do we react in such a way that the gospel has precedence? Or we react in such a way that you bothered me here, and that's not supposed to happen. Maybe, you know, A certain person came along in a role in your church and you like the other person more. I mean, they just have different defects. The other person is not like perfect. They just have different defects, different gifts. Maybe you didn't like the carpet color that the church voted on. Well, that's kind of a silly example, but you know what I'm talking about. I mean, people actually fight over such things Things that matter to them, maybe it's not the carpet color, but something else mattered to them. And it's not it's not a gospel matter, it's a preference matter. We let tiny things, even invisible things, rise up to the surface, and they'll vary in terms of importance to us. Some things have significant impact, but we we ought not to give them precedence over the gospel. I mean, we've seen so many churches, heard of many churches being torn apart over the past few years because of a tiny little thing. It had a significant impact, a virus, but this virus was put way high on a pedestal. The gospel was forgotten about, and churches just were torn apart because other things were given precedence instead of the gospel. And it resulted in so many problems in so many churches. So when we look at our personal differences and get irritated, we really have to pause and think, for whose sake am I fighting? Mine or Christ? For what sake am I fighting? The gospel or this thing that I really want? And I think one way to evaluate whether or not we're doing this is when I really want something, it's just a preference, and maybe it has, I'll have some implication of some sorts, right? Am I willing to let go of it, or do I have to push and get my way? And if I have to push and get my way, there's a problem there. And it has to be, of course, not at the expense of the gospel, Right? We're not talking about that, but it has to be around the gospel. I'm saying, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give here so that the gospel may be first and I be second. 
And why can't, why can't I just do what I want? <laughs> That's what our, you might not say it that way, right? But, I mean, we're talking about, okay, church matters, but let's, let's take a, maybe a more obvious illustration. You have an argument with your wife, and what's going on under the surface? Well, I want this, and she wants that. And so, why can't I just have what I want? Well, we're, we're selfish. That's our, our, our sin nature there. And it's also, in general culture, what's called the American dream. I get to do what I want. I mean, isn't that the purpose of life? And we have to be reoriented to the fact over and over again that we have a heavenly citizenship and Jesus is our king and that trumps our American citizenship or whatever citizenship that you have and I have. So after explaining the, the positive implication that I think deals more directly here in, in the church, right? Relationships, one another. Though there's also how that's a light to those who don't know Christ. Paul turns his attention to the, the negative application of standing together for the gospel by not being afraid. And that deals directly towards or with uh, the unbelievers. Verse 28, And not frightened in anything by your opponents, by those who don't know Christ and oppose us. And you're like, well, I'm not afraid. (laughs) I'm a man. (laughs) That's kind of like my gut reaction. I know about yours. I'm not afraid of this, but if we go down deep, dig a little bit, we have fears. I have fears. We thought it was the best decision to send our oldest daughter to a Catholic school. Well, I, I had a pinch in my heart of, well, what about this and that? And we're going to have to deal with these questions and be very intentional when she comes back home from school and she's going out of our protection that we've had her in at, Fear there, and God tells us, don't be afraid. You know, put me first, live lives for the sake of the gospel, and have faith. Don't be governed by fear. There's debate about who the gospel opponents here, and I don't intend on debunking all of that. I see a, a plurality of opponents, mainly, it's the Roman system and culture. I see that by uh, what we find here about what Paul says about citizenship, also the historical circumstances of what we're going on. But I also see Judaizers in chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, are called dogs, mutilators of the flesh. Historically, it's important uh, to understand the opposition that was going on. At this point in history, uh, emperors proclaimed themselves as Lord and Savior. There was emperor cult. In public gatherings, you, have, you had to bow down uh, before the emperor or recognize him as, as such in certain occasions. And so you can just picture, you know, Christians are living there. What if they don't bow? What's going to happen? The point here is that whatever the opposition is, we should not be afraid of it and governed by it. The gospel and the heavenly citizenship is what has to govern. Paul gives two reasons for that. He says, verse 28, 
It's a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So when we have this very unnatural response of there's opposition that's smashing my world apart down here, and I'm not afraid, I have peace before God, that's a testimony to those that don't know him. They're like, he's not like lashing out or just like crumbling apart in fear. It's a testimony of the fact that they have condemnation ahead of them, like Scripture says, and of the fact that we have salvation from God. I mean, think of it this way. Uh, Johnny, who is a Christian in Rome, is at a public gathering, and they're calling for people to recognize the emperor as Lord and Savior. And he's not bowing down. He's not doing it. He's got friends there like, hey, you, you know what they're going to do to you. I mean, they might put you in jail. I mean, your family is not going to be able to have food on their table. It might kill you. I mean, we know of Paul's imprisonment, but a, a lot of other Christians have suffered similar fates as Paul. And then there's other people who are there that are starting to say stuff. Hey, he's not bowing down over here. You know what's... Uh, look at him. But yet you have this Christian who is standing there because of his faith in Christ, and it's a clear sign. It's a testimony of the fact that the gospel is true. The second reason we find in the passage uh, for why we ought to not be frightened is because it's been granted to us not just to believe but to suffer for Christ. Granted. Granted. It's a privilege. It's a grace. And certainly in terms of an earthly citizenship, that makes no sense. In terms of a heavenly citizenship, it makes all the sense in the world. I mean, how could we not expect such a different thing when Christ has died and we as his followers should have to bear our crosses as well? When he has promised us this heavenly citizenship where we'll be with him forever, praising his holy name, enjoying our salvation forever, we ought to not be afraid because of that. And Paul then goes again and reminds them that he's there with them. There's this close relationship with the Philippians, verse 30. I'm in this together with you guys. I'm in this conflict, striving together for the sake of the gospel. We're not by ourselves, and we ought to, to not isolate ourselves in the battle, but fight together for the sake of the gospel. So, Let's not cave into fears, fellow Christians, but respond, putting the gospel first in our lives. In the East, many many countries endure full-fledged persecution. Over here, we don't have that, but we see a rising opposition. You look back not too long ago, it's like, what is going on? Well, what's going on is things that have happened many times in history. We look at Scripture, and our Lord knows very well that this was going to happen. It's, it's a normal thing. We're more the exception 
having enjoyed so many liberties as Christians. There's an agenda that's going on amongst other things. You could call it the Sodom and Gomorrah agenda or the alphabet agenda. Last year in Canada, I I learned of a dear brother there who said the wrong name. The person had changed names. He was interrogated. He lost his job. In Spain uh, this year, I learned of a young lady uh, who's who had to, as an elementary math teacher, was forced to put those agenda items in math examples. And so she quit her job. So right now we're suffering, enduring opposition financially in certain ways. Don't be afraid of your financial stability. May we not be afraid of such things and other things as we face opposition And on the one hand, right, there's cowering and anxiety. And on the other hand, we might be tempted to just lash out. And we have to remember that this is not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle where the cry of battle is a gospel cry of love. It's not a retaliation. It's a gospel cry of love. And it's with the sword of the the Spirit, which is the Word of God, In Philippians 2.14, it talks about grumbling and disputing. And then we see in verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So may our unity as believers amidst external pressures and also um, as we give preference to each other, be a testimony to those who don't know Christ. Verse 16 says, right, holding fast to the word of life. So it's the, the sword of the word of God that is our weapon. May unbelievers see this testimony and may, may that impact them. May we have take those opportunities to share Christ with them. May God help us as we really want something, you know, maybe not say anything, or maybe say different words, maybe not do anything, or do different actions that reflect that we're thinking of the gospel first instead of ourselves. So we have this command that the Lord gives us, you as a church here, me as a missionary there, and may we stand together for the sake of the gospel. May God help us to do that for his name's sake. Amen.